How many of our folks know that movie right there just by a show of hands? All right. So we're not going to say why you know that movie, uh, but that was back in the 50s, I believe. Ben-Hur, an older movie. The reason why I showed that to you is because that was very much how it went in the days in the first century in the Roman Empire. When a general would come back from war, victorious, that's what it would happen. The people would line the streets and cheer on their bravery and give them, pay tribute to them. The general would often receive from the, the emperor, as you saw on the throne, the emperor would, would bestow upon them gifts and the glory. And uh, that uh, is exactly um, what I believe Paul, the Apostle Paul, had in mind when he said, what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, which is where we're at in our um, um, passage today in the gospel, because he says, but, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And what's beautiful about our Savior Jesus Christ is that he has returned home victorious. The angels in heaven have lined the streets to pay tribute. And God the Father has bestowed upon Jesus the highest honor, for he gets all the glory. And we follow Jesus, that's what Paul is saying, we follow that, sharing the gospel, the good news, and when we share the gospel, when we are the walking gospel, he goes on to say, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And because we are the aroma of Christ, I titled this message, Smelling Like Jesus. <laughs> it's a catchy to, or a title, I know. And I think that some people will see that and be like, wait a minute, Jesus, like, he had this ministry for three and a half years in the first century, and he, he didn't have a home. He even mentioned that. Like, you know, follow me, like, You'll see, I don't have a home. I'm, I'm basically traveling around, and uh, you know they didn't get regular baths back then, so uh, he probably didn't smell the best, which kind of made me think, like, well, maybe that's why the women were always trying to anoint his head and feet with perfume. <laughs> think about that. It wasn't because he smelled, all right? Um, but I'm not suggesting we literally smell like Jesus. I'm speaking figuratively here just like Paul was doing in verses 14 and 15 of 2 Corinthians 2, that our actions would reflect our willingness to be faithful to God's word, to be faithful to the gospel, that we would go and make disciples, as the Great Commission tells us, and we would baptize those in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that our lives, our aroma of Christ, would cause people would, to be saved. And that's our goal, isn't it? We want to see more and more come to Christ. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're faithful. We're faithful in all things. We're faithful to share the word, the gospel. As John shared, we're, we're faithful to give our first fruits to God so that the church can operate and, um, and it can employ people like myself to dedicate full time to the ministry of the word. So let's pray and let's pray for this word to change us and transform us. Father, thank you for your word today. I thank you for your love that I see day in and day out in this church. 
I thank you that we can um, learn together, uh, we can grow together in grace and in knowledge. And Lord, as we learn today from this word, I pray that we would be faithful, faithful in so many different ways, but faithful to your word, that when your word goes out, it doesn't come back void. That, Lord, if you've opened a door, if you've softened a heart, that, Lord, when we, when we share the truth, the truth will set people free. Father, I thank you for that, and I pray it will today. I pray that, uh, that many have come today to be encouraged, to be built up in this church, and I pray they will, and I pray, Lord, that they see, they see your love, and they see your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're going to pick this up in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 2. If you have your Bible, open it up. If you have it on your your phone or your tablet or whatever, feel free to do that. No one's going to think you're texting or, or looking at scores online or anything like that. We all know the game doesn't start until 1, okay? So go ahead, check out your electronic Bible, that's okay. If you need a Bible, blue Bibles and chairs in front of you, they're free. Um, they were donated for that purpose. So we're in uh, verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 2. And last week, just to give you a quick, quick uh, flashback to last week, um, I know that whenever I preach on forgiveness, it always hits people hard. And when I preached on forgiving one another last week, and what really I learned in, in studying that passage is that not only do we forgive someone in the sense of we send away, that's the, there was two words used um, the Greek, in the Greek, but we send away the offense, but when someone is experiencing sorrow, like they have genuine repentance, and they're asking you for forgiveness, it's so important that we comfort them, that we give them grace, that Greek word charizomai, that we really comfort them and love them. And that's, that's really what it means to forgive one another. If we're not willing to uh, forgive, if you're bitter about someone or something someone has done, if you're still feeling resentful, I really encourage you to watch that message again. Um, you can see that on our website and our YouTube channel. But Check that out one more time, and then I even offer something to you at the end, um, and some have taken me up on it, and I hope you will too. But unforgiveness, boy, that's like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. It doesn't work like that, right? It's only hurting you. So I encourage you to, to forgive and love one another. So that was last week. Now we're in um, this week in, in Smelling Like Jesus. Verse 12 and 13, we'll take this verse by verse. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, Paul is saying this to the church in Corinth. He, he points out that a door was opened for me in the Lord in this city called Troas. But my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. Of course, he wrote a letter to Titus, which is in the Bible. He says, I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. Now, the New Testament shows us, when you read the whole New Testament, you realize that this Apostle Paul was pretty involved in uh, the gospel and spreading the gospel. In fact, he had a heart for taking the gospel to places where no one had ever heard about Jesus. You know, he's traveling around the Mediterranean Sea. He writes to Rome, you know, like, my goal is to get to you someday and even go beyond. I want to get to Spain. And I just want to take the gospel um, to the whole world, just as Jesus said. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And Paul wanted to do that. He took that serious. But he understood this important principle in evangelism, in sharing the truth, the gospel. He understood that if God doesn't open the door, then you're wasting valuable time. 
Think about that. If God doesn't open the door, you're wasting valuable time. You have to go where God is already at work in people's hearts. Thank you. I'm fairly certain that missionaries, missionaries don't choose where they want to go. I mean, if I was a missionary today and I had the choice between a Caribbean island and the North Pole, I'm sorry, Santa Claus, but I'm picking the Caribbean island. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) God knows this, so he chooses for us. As we pray, God shows us where to go. God shows missionaries where to go. God answers our prayer by opening a door. And ultimately, really, I believe God softens the missionary's heart, the Christian's heart, for the people that he's calling them to. I'll give you a couple examples because in our budget, you'll see that we support missionaries. We support Chris Gentz. He's a longtime friend of mine. He's a pastor in Kalamazoo. God has burdened his heart for college students. So he started a church on the campus of Western Michigan University called H2O Church. And he ministers to those students. And he sees gospel fruit there in Kalamazoo. So that's a door that's been opened for him. We also support a family, the Redford family, as they have a heart burden for the Tama people in Chad, Africa. There is no Bible in their language. And so they work with Whitecliffe translators, and they are writing a Bible for the Tama people. But there's times where they actually have to leave the area because of a civil unrest. In fact, I just got a newsletter from the Redfords this week. He writes, uh, Dave writes this, the war in Sudan is still going strong. There's 400,000 people that have fled Sudan into Chad since April. The Darfur region sits 30 miles east of our home in Gereda and has become especially volatile again. Would you pray? This is his prayer. So if you're praying for the Redford family, which I always encourage us to do, he asks for prayer for a resolution of the fighting, for the safety of the Tama people that they love, colleagues, friends, families. Would you pray that the fighting doesn't destabilize eastern Chad as it has done in the last conflict? And he says, finally... This is the part that really caught my attention. Finally pray that the Lord would use the war to open the hearts of those who have fled. It is his observance that during our time in Chad, we've noticed it's often those away from home who seem to have the softest hearts towards the gospel. So that is our prayer. What does an open door look like? It's a soft heart when the gospel is shared. When you you talk about your faith, in your workplace, in your school, when you talk about your faith in your neighborhood or just in conversations, and you notice that, wow, they're really, they're really listening, like they're really engaged, they really want to know more. That's, the, that's a soft heart. That's an open door. And when we share our story for, for his glory, good things happen. Amen? So let's keep doing that. I want to hope, encourage you to look for those open doors and the people you know. Don't be in such a hurry that you miss the opportunity to really share the gospel, to plant the seed, to water the seed. God makes it grow. Now, Paul had an open door in Troas. His spirit was not at rest, though. You say, why? why, why? I mean, Paul, you had an open door. I mean, can you turn me down just a little bit? Because I'm getting feedback that I don't like so much. And I know I'm going to yell at some point here and get a little louder. Um, 
Paul had this open door, but his spirit's not at rest. You say, well, that, that's, that's strange. Like, man, like the gospel was ready, right? Like the fruit was there. Um, <clears throat> but it seems like the reason is, is that he was alone. He was alone. He didn't have Titus, his, his brother, the, the, the person that he had mentored, a brother in Christ. And uh, so, you know, he wanted another person because, after all, where two or more are gathered, um, Jesus is there, Right? Now, if you were here last week, you better say, uh-uh, don't do that, pastor. Don't take that verse out of context. That's not what it means. And uh, um, so I'm not going to do that. Because let's be honest, the Lord is with us even if we are alone. If the Holy Spirit dwells in us, isn't the Lord with us? Yes, he is. So Paul was really saying, it's really a blessing when we serve one another together. Isn't that true? Many times I've been up here by myself doing a task at the church, and then someone will show up. It's usually Vince. Appreciate you, Vince. And he helps, you know, and I'm like, thank the Lord. Like, I don't want to do this by myself, and I usually can uh, work a little longer when someone is there alongside me, and I'm sure you find that to be true as well. Let's move on to verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So going back to that video, you pictured the Roman triumphal entry. Paul has in mind here that Jesus did the same thing in heaven. And something that we didn't really see in the video, something that probably happened back in Rome, back in the day, is that when this general was coming back from victory, they probably would have been burning incense on the sides. There probably would have been a sweet aroma, a smell, which is why Paul says what he says in these verses here, that there's this fragrance that's going on. As the parade was taking place, there would have been a wonderful, sweet smell of victory. And as we think about what Paul is saying here in that in Christ, in Christ's victory, we have some things to celebrate too. We have victory of life over death. We have victory of freedom over slavery to sin. Because when you're not in Christ, you're a slave to sin. But when you're in Christ, you have victory over that. And in the victory that comes with Jesus is the fact that he overcomes the evil one. I want to share with you what he said to the church in Colossa, Paul. He says, uh, and you, that's all of us Christians, who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Is there a sin that you think God won't forgive? You're wrong. If you're in Christ, he has forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. That's the devil and his gang. When Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again, he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Amen? That's such good news. That's what Christ has done and that's who we are. And that's why Paul can say in that verse, thanks be to God. You know, say that with me. Thanks be to God. Yeah, for the victory. Victory is a huge thing. Because so many times, even with uh, uh, 
being born again, being in Christ, so many times we still fall, don't we? We still stumble. stumble. The, the flesh gets the best of us. And yet, we have victory. We don't have to be a slave to that. We can have victory in Christ. We can overcome. Every day we walk on the coattails of King Jesus. Our faith in Him is a lovely fragrance to, to many, many people that we encounter. It's really good to smell like Jesus. Do you smell like Him? I mean, when you interact with people and they get a whiff of you, do they instantly know, oh man, they got Jesus. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Perhaps you have your favorite cologne or your perfume that you like to wear. And when people come into contact with you, sometimes, you know, they take a long, you know, you know, that's a good smell, right? Like, you, you, you know who those people are in your life. Uh, of course, sometimes we know people that put on a little too much, you know, and we know that we can smell them a long ways away. Sam Malone from Cheers always comes to mind when I think of wearing too much cologne. I love my wife's perfume. In the morning when she leaves the house, she puts it on and she gives me a hug and a kiss goodbye, and, and I always am drawn into that um, smell that is my, my wife's perfume. Now, if one day she forgets to put it on, I might not notice, but when she puts it on, I definitely notice. And I think Paul uses this illustration to help us understand something very important. God doesn't want you to leave your faith in the drawer. God doesn't want you to not put on the aroma of Christ when you leave the house. He doesn't want us to go out into the world not smelling like Jesus. So put on the fragrance of the knowledge of him wherever we go. And know this, that when people get a whiff of Jesus, when they smell Jesus on you, you can expect two very different responses. Paul writes in verse 15, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to other, a fragrance from life to life. Hmm. So if the door of their heart is open, they will love the smell of Jesus. It's going to be a sweet aroma. They're going to savor it. But if the door of their heart is closed, they will hate it, and they will probably despise you. I'm sure you've encountered this. I remember years ago on a home inspection, the house had been vacant for quite a, t- uh, quite a while. It was probably a few years And uh, the inspector, I was standing there, and the inspector um, was going to check and see if the dishwasher worked. And before he opened it, uh, neither of us realized that it had not been opened for quite a while. And inside were some food items and some water. Yeah, and so he opened this thing up, and it literally, I'm telling you, it literally knocked him on his butt like a Joe Lewis punch. I mean, he fell over. That's how strong this smell was. Sometimes when people smell Jesus on you, it will repulse them. It's going to push them away. But it's not you. You have to understand that. I'm sure you showered that day. (laughs) It's Jesus. They're smelling Jesus and they don't like it because they're dead in their trespasses. They're living in the darkness. They don't want to come into the light. They like their life the way they have it. But they're living the lie. 
And Satan wants to keep them blinded, to keep thinking that that's a good life. But it's really not because they're slaves to their sin. And they need their eyes open, and they need to smell the Jesus on you so that they can come into the light. So don't be surprised, by the way, if you aren't a Christian and you become a Christian, that your new life is not embraced by family and friends, by the way. Some of you might remember when you first became a Christian how excited you were. I know I was on fire for God. I, when I got saved, I just couldn't help but tell people about all the good things that were happening in my life, and I probably quoted one, one too many verses in, their, in, in, in my exuberance. But um, it was kind of interesting that um, some of my family, when I got uh, saved, um, thought I joined a cult, actually. Uh, apparently, reading my Bible every day and praying directly to Jesus, going to church for more than an hour a week was cultish behavior. <laughs> um, I didn't think it was. I just thought it was normal because I saw all my brothers and sisters in Christ doing it. So not everyone will love the new you. That's my point. But Jesus will. And that's all that matters. Jesus said some tough words in Matthew 10. He said, brother will deliver brother over to death, and father, his child, and children will rise against parents. You'll be hated for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So brothers and sisters, stay the course. Stay the course as we learn in Revelation on Wednesdays. We must endure. We must persevere. Keep smelling like Jesus. You're a new creation in Christ. And sometimes family will turn on you, and they'll play the family card. But many know, you know, as we see out in the world today, especially in the other religions, how families will disown their children, will disown others, because religion is part of their culture more than it, uh, than it and they misunderstand, really, that it's not about religion, it's a relationship with Christ. And so they turn on their own children. And sometimes um, we see that um, in, in other places. So we pray for those that become Christians and leave a culture or leave a certain uh, religion. Uh, we pray for them to find um, safety um, in the Lord. It's tough. But keep smelling like Jesus. We're a new creation. Paul goes on to say and finishes by saying, Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, verse 17, peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. It's in this last verse here in verse 17 that Paul points out five reasons why he and those with him were sufficient in all things. Sufficient to spread this aroma of Christ to the, the gospel, to the whole world. The question that I want you to ask yourself as you read these passages, as we look at this verse, this last verse here, in the five parts of it, is Paul did his part. He shared the gospel. He followed the Great Commission. He went and made disciples. But are you doing your part? Are you specifically being faithful in these areas? Paul says, we are not like many peddlers of God's word. Now, a peddler was a swindler. He had in mind there, using that term, of those people that would probably take like wine and water it down so that they could sell more and make more money. So they were watering down the wine to make more money. Well, 
Paul was not a peddler of God's word. He wasn't watering down God's word. Are you doing that? Because there's a lot of pastors and preachers out there that are watering down God's word. You know, we stand on the foundation here in this church of saying that we are here to help you get closer to God, understand the Bible, the whole Bible, and love one another. And so there are some pastors that won't talk about sin, for example. But yet, I will because it's the whole Word of God. In fact, they talk about being happy. You know, many times we, in our, um, as parents, we want our children to be happy. You know, we want others to be happy. But happiness is, 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 is fleeting, it's temporary, it's circumstantial. Joy, on the other hand, is permanent regardless of the circumstance. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Now think about this. In Galatians 5, Paul goes on to say that you must crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. And when you do, you get the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. So if you don't talk about sin, how can you really get to the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy? You can't. Because you've got to crucify that. The flesh, the sin, the, the things that we do that aren't holy and godly. We've got to get rid of those things. So let's be faithful to the whole Word of God. That's the first thing that we see in the Scripture. Be faithful to the whole word of God. Paul goes on to say, as we are men of sincerity. Paul and the others were very sincere, and the word actually implies transparent. Being transparent, being able to see who you really are. There were false teachers back then, just as there are now, people who have their own agenda. In the spotlight, they look good. When they're on stage, they look good. But behind the scenes, not so good because they got their hidden agenda. Maybe you know someone that's like that. Don't say their name. <laughs> but you just don't trust them, because you just, you just know. There's just something about them. You're like, eh, they got something. they're hiding something. You know? When your head hits the pillow at night, you will sleep well if you know you've been sincere, transparent. So be faithful to your conscience. That's what Paul's saying there. Be faithful to your conscience. Thirdly, as commissioned by God, Paul says in verse 17, as commissioned by God, Paul knew his calling was from God. He knew God called him to do what he was doing. He had spiritual gifts, a lot of them. And he used them to build up the churches. He was always writing the church, right to the church in Rome. You know, I want to come to you so I can encourage you and build you up with one of my spiritual gifts. But Paul also knew that he had weaknesses. He says to the church in Philippi, you know, I can do all things only because Christ strengthens me. He, he understood he had weaknesses. Are you aware of the calling God has on your life? Are you using your spiritual gifts that God has given you to build up his church? I've had this conversation more than once in, uh, uh, with some different people, is that when we were looking for a church um, Jay, uh, Jamie and I back in, you know, 2004, I think it was, and um, before we came to Life of Purpose, 2005, um, we were looking for a church, and, and honestly, our, our thing that we were looking for was, you know, number one, um, as, as Paul tells Timothy, you know, the pillars of the church have to be sound 
doctrine, sound teaching. So if they're not teaching the Word of God, we're out. I mean, that's the first one, right off the bat. We're not sticking around for any uh, watered-down teaching. But number two, we wanted to serve. Like, we have gifts that we want to use to build up the church, so when we come to the church, we're like thinking, how can we serve? And that's what, what all of us should be doing, is, is being, using our, our calling on, and honoring God and trusting in his strength. And God has a plan for us, and uh, we want to follow that plan. So be faithful, thirdly, to your calling. Be faithful to your calling. In the sight of God, Paul writes, Paul was so aware of God's vision he sees everything. Nothing's hidden from God's sight. We know this, right? When you sneak a peek and look lustfully at another person, God sees that. When you help your neighbor, nobody else knows, God sees that. He sees it all. There's nothing hidden from God. I was thinking about this uh, uh, four weeks ago, three weeks ago. Basketball started, as many of you know, I coach basketball and um, I was at the uh, varsity tryouts. I'm the JV coach. Um, I, I'm not good enough to be the varsity coach. I'm just a, a humble JV coach. Um, I did my time on varsity. So I'm watching the varsity guys, you know, these, these juniors and seniors, and they're, they're um, in this grueling time of conditioning. You know, the first couple of days of tryouts, you know, it's kind of like, you know, make them, make them run, you know, make them sweat, make them work. And so they're going through this conditioning, and I was watching from the stage that when, when the coach would turn his back, the players behind him, would, some of them would stop, you know. And then he turned around, and then they were, you know, back doing, the, you know. And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm laughing because I'm a coach too, you know. And he's going to come over and say, hey, what do you see? What do you think, you know. And, and uh, you know, I didn't rat anybody out, but, like, that's what I saw in if I saw that, like, God sees everything, right? He sees everything we do. He knows everything we do. So Paul is saying, you know, be faithful all the time. Not just when other people are watching. Be faithful all the time. And then lastly, he says, we speak in Christ. I encouraged uh, us a few weeks ago to read Ephesians 1. When you read chapter 1 of Ephesians, you'll see countless times, I, I want to say it's somewhere around 17 times, you'll see in Christ or in Him. When we are in Christ, when we are in Him, union with Christ. Um, just as Paul wanted Titus to be there with him in ministry, um, we should embrace one another in Christ, the members of His church. And let's be honest, when a church has been going on for a long time. We, we've been going on for a while. Some of us have been coming to this church for quite a while, uh, you know, since 2005, 6. Um, we may not always get along with one another, right? I mean, you're in ministry, you're rubbing shoulders with people. Uh, you, you, might, you might not see eye to eye on things. In fact, um, lately it seems some of us have been getting on each other's nerves a little bit. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, you know, if you, if you shifted in your seat a little bit, then good, you're listening, but that works too. Uh, but we got issues, we all have issues, we got hurts, we got habits, we got hang-ups, we got baggage. And as the saying goes, hurt people 
hurt people. And you probably heard that before. But here's the thing I know about this church. We're a hospital church. We're hurting, and we come here for healing. And we heal together in community. We do it when we show grace and mercy to one another. And I know that our first instinct isn't always to do that. If someone gets in our face, our first instinct might be to put up a wall or to put up our hand. But grace and mercy is what we see in Christ. Loving one another. You know, I was recently talking to a pastor who helps churches get started, plant churches. He helps the Christians start new churches. And the first question that he asks the person who is wanting to start a new church is, you know, what, what was your previous church experience? What are you coming from? You know, was it a healthy experience? Did you have really good relationships in the other church? Was there a lot of forgiveness going on? Or are you coming from a situation where you didn't like those people anymore and now you're going to start your own church? Oftentimes that's the case, sadly. And some, some people are just so excited. Oh, they want to start a church and they just start, you know, okay, well, let's start a church. And they don't really ask the hard question. The hard question is, what are you coming from? Did you leave on good terms? I mean, are you starting this church because you didn't like the other people? That's the recipe for disaster because hurt people hurt people. And we know where this is going to head. But the beauty of, of God's church, of being in Christ together, is that we love one another and we forgive one another and we grow together. We, we allow the word to transform us. I mean, if you want to know the reason why um, there are conflicts in church, James chapter 4, man, says it right there. It's because of the inner desires within us. So you've got to dig down and dig up the roots that are in there and get healing so that the church can, can truly prosper and, and develop fruit. So if you're at odds with someone in the church, here's my advice. Or in your family, or in your friend's circle, if you're at odds with someone, do everything possible to make it right. Humble yourselves. Some of you, that's all you needed to hear today. Humble yourselves, put away your pride, forgive one another, comfort one another, love one another, be faithful to his church. Look, at Christ died for that brother or that sister just as much as he died for you. Let's offer forgiveness to one another. Let's love one another. Be faithful to his church. And then we will smell like Jesus. This is a good time for you to speak to God. If you haven't been faithful in any of these areas, I want you to encourage you to confess and repent. God's mercies are new every morning. Let's get back on track and let's be the sweet aroma of Christ. Our praise team is going to come up and play our final song. Are you being faithful to the word? Are you being faithful to your own conscience? Are you being faithful to the calling of God on your life? Are you being faithful all the time? And are you being faithful to his church? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that it transforms us, it changes us. God, may your spirit work in us. May we humble ourselves. May we put down the pride. May we show love in Jesus.